Families are complicated. Amen? I mean, the one thing we all have in common is that we all came from a family, and I guarantee you, if I scratch hard enough, I will find out that your family, like my family, is complicated. In Jesus' parable this morning, we have this story of a family, a father and his two sons. I am the older son. I have a brother who lives in Athens. His name is Zach. He is the younger son. Families are complicated things, I can tell you, because I know from experience. Jesus is telling three parables in response to some criticism he's receiving from the religious authorities of uh, his day and his time, his place. Uh, The three parables go together. You've heard them before, but let me just remind you, the first parable Jesus tells is about a lost sheep. I heard a song on the radio coming in and it talked about, doesn't he leave the 99 to go search for the one? It's quoting right there from Luke chapter 15. And it's about a lost sheep that the shepherd goes out and finds and brings back. Secondly, there's a story of a a woman with 10 coins. She loses one coin. She searches diligently to find the coins. And when she finds the coins, she has a party to celebrate that which was lost and now is found. And then Jesus tells the climax of the stories, the story of the lost son, the parable of the prodigal son. We know this parable I don't know about you, but in our, my place where I'm from, you know, sometimes when somebody comes in, you haven't seen for a while, you go, well, well, look, look, the prodigal returns. And it's just a way you kind of prodding people a little bit. Again, families are complicated, right? And Jesus tells the story of a prodigal son. But there's more than just the son. Just like if you've ever been around people who are counselors, they'll tell you, it's not just the person that you think the problem in a family dynamic, it's usually the entire family. We like to identify the black sheep, as we call them, and we put all the blame on them as if the scapegoat, but it's oftentimes the family system that's a little incorrect. Jesus uses these parables because they're so common, because they can, we can wrap our minds around it. We, we understand the love, the grace, the mercy of God because we remember the parable of the prodigal son. And it speaks to us, doesn't it? Doesn't it speak to us? Maybe you can relate to the prodigal. Maybe you are the prodigal. I know some of your stories. Some of you are definitely the prodigal. But this morning, I want to not just talk about the prodigal son story, which, by the way, my thunder was stolen because uh, Pastor Carl Carl, uh, Smith from from Greater Bethel AME Church preached right here last week. Wednesday night on the, the prodigal son. So it feels a little bit repetitive for those who were there then to, for me to even be attempting to talk about this. But, but I, I want to remind you the story, but I want to put it in the larger context. Why is it that Jesus is talking about these three lost and found stories? Well, it's because of what happens in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. And I just want to remind you of that. If you still have your Bible open, then you can look back with me or listen, listen, Luke 15, 1 and 2, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Jesus is drawing the crowds. He is, they are coming to hear him. Tax collectors, people who have a legal means to exploit the people, which is what they did. Legalized sin, if you will. 
And the sinners, notorious sinners, those who are doing other things that bring condemnation, perhaps just ones who are not diligently seeking the law of God. The tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to him, it says in verse 1. And then verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes, in other words, the religious leaders, the, the zealots, the Bible thumpers, the people that knew their scriptures and who diligently sought to serve God, they grumbled saying, this man eats. He receives sinners and he eats with them. How dare he? Jesus tells the three parables of lost and found because he wants to speak to the heart of the Pharisees and the scribes. And just to tip you off, they are the older brother. But we'll get to that in a moment. In rabbinic tradition at the time of Jesus, it was considered a waste of time, unworthy of a rabbi to even spend time with a sinner, even if they desired to learn the law. There was no reason to waste your time with notorious sinners. And yet here are those who were coming out of those traditions, seeking Jesus, seeking to be with him. Now Jesus has spent the latter part of chapter 14 describing the high bar of following him. He talks about the fact that unless you love, you, you hate your family, your brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and, and everyone else, again, families are complicated. He says, you're not worthy to serve me. He raised a high bar. You see, there are people who under-identify with their family of origin, and there are people who overly identify with their family of, urge, of origin, and Jesus warns about both. He talks about the, the, what it means to be a disciple of his and what the cost will be. For I tell you, he says in verse 24, none of those who were invited shall taste my banquet. He's telling this story about these, um, these, this banquet that comes in, and those who are unworthy to receive it. And so then he says in verse 34, so therefore I, anyone who, would, who does not renounce all these things is not worthy to be my disciple. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. Jesus is saying to the, to the Pharisees and the scribes, here's the question you're afraid to ask me. You're grumbling and complaining about why I waste my time with sinners and tax collectors. Let me tell you your unasked question. Why am I doing it? Because you're not. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes had forgotten the very law that they were so proud to be studying and to be knowledgeable in. Ezekiel chapter 34, the prophet says, I rebuke you, teachers, you shepherds of Israel, for you're supposed to care for the weak and the poor and the wayward, and you're to bring them back to God. And yet, rather than doing that, you have been blind to their needs and you have filled yourselves up. You've made yourselves fat and comfortable. This is the Alex translation, by the way. And so I rebuke you. I condemn you. And then Ezekiel 34, the prophet says by the word of God, and I will be their shepherd, says the Lord. Jesus says, why am I eating with tax collectors and sinners, notorious sinners? Because I'm the good shepherd. 
And the good shepherd seeks the lost and restores them. Did you catch the last verse of Psalm 34 that Jose and Josh led us through a moment ago? I think that the, the scribes and Pharisees had missed this last verse. The last verse of Psalm 34 says, none, that those who, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. God wants to be merciful. God is a God of love and mercy, and he longs to welcome in tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Whosoever will may be saved. But Jesus says, you have forgotten the word of God. And therefore, I, the good shepherd, am eating and drinking with those who are drawn to me and are seeking the mercy of God. Now, perhaps there's no more loved parable in all of Luke than the prodigal son story. We know it, we quote it, we use it, and, and it comes up in some of our, our common vernacular like I demonstrated a little bit ago, nothing so speaks at the heart of Luke's gospel as Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. It is about the mercy and love of God for sinful humanity. The unashamed, blatant, over-the-top love of God that leads some modern singers to say it's even reckless, which I don't really think it's a reckless love, which is why we don't do that song. But I do think it's getting at this idea that it's so over the top that it almost seems reckless the way the father extends grace and mercy to the son, this prodigal. You know this story. Like I said, some of you have lived it. Most of us can identify with it. Jesus says it is about life and death. He says that twice in the parable. Again, answering the, the doubters, the grumbling, complaining of the Pharisees and the scribes. Why am I doing this? Because it is about life and death. It's about seeing people receive grace and mercy. And like I said, Carl did a great job, but just to remind you of a few points. There is nothing worse than a, a, for a son to ask for the inheritance before the father's death. Sadly, Jody and I were with someone Friday night who was describing to us a, a modern-day son who had act, basically asked his mother to do this very same thing, sell her house, liquidate her assets, and give them to him. It's a super sad story, but it goes on and on and end. It's, there's nothing so disgraceful as this. And as shocked as you are, I can see mouths opening. So it would be shocking that this son would do that. He goes, a good Jewish boy, to a Gentile place where he can find wine and women and debauchery. And he spends everything on wantonous living. And then a famine comes. Sometimes I, I meet people who tell me about this really difficult situation that's taken place in their lives, and, uh, and, and I realize that they are under the, the false assumption that, that the difficult thing that happened that was beyond their control is the problem. They, 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 they wait until they have completely forgotten about saving or preparing or working hard or whatever else, and then they get into crisis, and then they go, and then 
you know, we had this power outage and all my food went bad. And, you know, it's like, it's like I didn't get you into this trouble in 24 hours and I'm not going to feel responsible to get you out of this trouble in 24 hours. You see, the prodigal son comes, he, he lives wantonously, and then after all of that, guess what? Stuff happens. Famine comes. There's no provision. He finds himself eating or wishing he could eat the pods that the swine are eating. I mean, could there be any worse position for a Jewish boy to find himself in? And then as Pastor Smith reminded us on Wednesday night, he remembers that there's no place like home. And he realizes that, you know what, he, he rejected dad and mom's rules, but right now those servants who, are, who are, are slaves of the master, his father, they're living much better than he is. And maybe this sort of making your own way and going your way and making your own rules isn't what it was cut out to be. He turns and he comes home. There are two things that are required for a prodigal to be restored. Number one, the prodigal has to realize who they truly are. The prodigal and the son, the younger son, he recognizes that he has sinned against heaven and before his father. He knows that he is not worthy to be a son because of what he's done shamefully, wantonously, recklessly. He knows who he is. That's that repentance that we talk about. It's changing our mind and our heart and our actions. He recognizes that, and so he does the second thing which is required. After having realized who you are, the prodigal has to turn and go home. Because, as Carl said, there's no place like home. And he returns, and here is this grace, this merciful grace picture that we get. The father running to the son. Jewish men of a high stature did not run. I mean, it wasn't just that he might have a heart attack. It was that they don't run because it's not, it's not respectable. Jody and I were crossing Main Street, and there was this man who was crossing the street, and he was going very slowly. And Jody goes, what is wrong with that man? I said, babe, you don't understand men at all. You cannot be cool this is how you walk across the street if you're cool. It's respectable. And you better not hit him because then you're really going to find out some disrespect. We know this part of the story. We know we're, we're blown away by it. Maybe we've lived it. But there's another character in the story, isn't there? It's the older brother. Do you remember that I said I'm an older brother? It's funny, Artie Hart, the former uh, pastor of Vineyard uh, Church here in Gainesville, he told me years ago, he, said, he went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, and it's the largest evangelical seminary in the United States, and this was a freshman class, so this was a really large class, sort of one of those like big UF freshman classes that are, you know, super large. And the professor said, how many in this room are firstborns? And Artie told me that overwhelmingly the majority of people in the room raised their hand. Isn't that interesting? Families are complicated. Why is it that firstborns are more likely to go into ministry full-time? Maybe it's because we're better 
at following the rules and figuring out how to be a good boy. There are exceptions, obviously, but it seems to me like it happens a good bit. We should take a look at it. Jesus goes on past just answering the question that they're not asking, why, to look at the very heart of that questioner. You see, Jesus asks, he tells the parables because of their grumbling, their unasked question. But Jesus wants to get to their hearts. They are the older brother. Man, it is so hard to put up with a little brother, especially with a screw-up, who's always not pulling their weight or running away when there's work to be done or not taking care of mom and dad. And, and it goes on and on and on, and especially if they live a sinful life. And then for them to be just received back in, oh, just makes the older boy's blood boil, just boil. How could he do this? There's no happiness in him. He won't even talk about the younger son as his brother. He says, that son of yours, and he fills in details. Oh, by the way, he was spending the money on prostitutes. Do you know that? He, he's, there's no happiness in him. Why is that? Well, it's because he doesn't know his own father. He also doesn't know who he is. He said, I, remember I said that the prodigal to come home has to remember who he is and then he has to come back home. But the older sons and daughters, and some of us can relate to that, we have to remember who we are. The language of the older brother and I got this from Henry Nouwen in a great book that he wrote about the prodigal son story. Henry Nouwen says that the, son, the older son has forgotten who he is as well. Look at the language. I have worked here like a slave on your property all this time. And you've never even as much as given me a goat to, to celebrate with my friends. He doesn't know who he is. He's acting like a slave when he's a son. I can identify with the little boy who prayed the prayer. He said, Lord, make all the bad people good. And Lord, make all the good people nice. Why are good people sometimes not nice? Because they don't know their daughters and sons of the king. They're acting like slaves. They're weighing down by the weight of the law and the need to be responsible, and they've forgotten who they are in God. Daughters, sons. Those same people who are able to receive the mercy of their father just as the prodigal is. Now, I know this not only because I'm an older brother in reality, but because I lived the life of a Pharisee. If you don't know my testimony, for years and years of my early life, I played the perfect boy, the perfect child. 
caused my mother and father no, no difficulty. You know, I was the kid at Park View, Parkwood Baptist Church in Jacksonville who fathers and mothers would say, oh, I hope my little boy grows up just to be like Alex Farmer. And, and, the, and oh, I hope my daughter grows up to marry somebody like Alex Farmer. And on and on. And I'm not exaggerating. That was my reputation. And yet I knew that within me was sin and brokenness and anger. I was just good as an older brother and keeping it in, making you think everything was great. And so at 15, when the gospel came to me in a language that I could understand, what I, what I heard God say in truth is that I know you, Alex, the real you, and I still love you. And you don't have to hide. You don't have to try to be perfect. You don't have to be tied up in anger. You see, the reason why I love this prodigal son story, I do love the prodigal, but I also love the older brother because I know what it's like to be bound up in anger because we don't know the grace. We think we're doing such a great job, but God owes us something. And in fact, we, as much as the younger brother, need his grace and mercy and we miss it even though we're living in the house, even though we're working in the fields of the Father. We don't know who we are. Now, we don't get to see the end of the story. We don't get to see what Jesus does. We do know about a few uh, Pharisees. We know what happens to Paul. He's a Pharisee who becomes a follower of Christ. We know about Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And maybe there are others. Surely there are others. We know later on in Acts that talks about, it talks about priests that come to faith and one of the outpourings of the Holy Spirit. But we don't have the full story. But what we can reflect on is this messed up, complicated family, and what God wants to speak into our lives. Now, and says that ultimately God's intentions is that we learn at different places to be all three parts in the story. We are all the prodigal, whether we hide it well or not. One of the statistics about uh, online pornography is that most of the time, Christians who look at pornography do so because it's a way to sin and not be found out. It's a secret. It's a good boy sin. And statistically, as many Christians are looking at pornography as non-Christians. We're all prodigals. We all need the grace and mercy of a loving father who doesn't give us what we deserve or condemn us, but rather extends grace and mercy to us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that second lesson, that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. He longs to lavish us with the ring and the robe and the shoes and to treat us like children of God that we are when we simply accept who we are and come home. But we also will have opportunities to be the big brother, the older brother. Not to judge and condemn and stand outside pouting, but, but to 
be the one who's there to receive the prodigals when they come in. And I know that's not always easy, but that's the reason why Jesus gives us his teaching. We need to be a church where prodigals can feel as if they can come in and not be condemned. Oh, that we would have a reputation in Gainesville. That I don't, you know what? I had done so many things, if that church knew, but they loved me anyway. They didn't condemn me. They let me be a part of them. They loved me for who I am in Christ, not for who I was. But now and says we will also have opportunities to be the grace-filled parent, father or mother. You see, it's one thing to receive prodigals in. It's another thing to run to them. To run to them and lavish God's love on them even before they come to us. This morning, you can identify with one of these characters. I, I, I owe, owe that we would all identify with the grace-filled father, but I probably we identify with either the prodigal or the older brother. Where is God calling you to recognize who you are in him? Where is he calling you to come home? What in this Lenten season would God use this parable to deepen our devotion to him and to recognize that we are being called to offer out, offer out his mercy and grace? Families are complicated. You start out the rebellious son and then you become the dad. And then by the grace of God, you become the grandfather. I'm just a time traveler, you know, I'm looking, this is my theme, I'm just a time traveler. And, and, I, and I look at it and I, and I realize that God is so gracious to us. He, he puts things in terms that we can all understand. And he says, my arms are open. I'm ready to receive. How will he use this, this parable to deeper your devotion. What will he call you to do? Who are you called right now to receive as a prodigal? Or to forgive as an older brother? Or to run to as a loving parent? Paul says we are his ambassadors. As if God was making the appeal through us. This is the Second Corinthians passage. Be reconciled to God. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that's Jesus on the cross, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Amen.